0: anybody else ever been unfairly judged? Show of hands, like somebody looked at you or heard something about you and they decided to make a determination about you based on what they'd heard and it was very unfair to you. Maybe it was how you talked, but whatever it was, you felt discriminated against. I know it's happened to me before. I know one of the biggest knocks on churches is that people come in the door and they feel like they're getting judged. That's why many people decide not to go to a church or decide not to come back. So my hope is that for you this morning at New Anthem, you do not feel judged. I hope you never feel judged here. However, in fairness, I feel like as a pastor, I'm supposed to uh, like tell the truth and whatnot. So I should probably go on record and say that I've judged some of you, okay? Have you ever come up to me and started talking about your cat and how awesome your cat is and your cat can do all these amazing things? I'm judging you in that moment. Like, as far as I'm concerned, your cat is a spawn of Satan, okay? So you need to know that. If you talk to me about your cat, I'm judging you on the spot. And I've, I'm glazed over. I'm probably not listening. After the word cat, you've, you've lost my attention, okay? you need You need to know that. But maybe judgment was not a negative for you. Maybe judgment was a positive. I'll give you an example. Perhaps you were the teacher's pet. So they were judging you, choosing you. Maybe you're your parent's favorite. I'm my parent's favorite son. I know that. Uh, I'm their only son, but beggars can't be choosers, okay? So I'm their favorite son. All that being said, I would contend that our natural human bent is towards judgment. We actually like to know where we fit in. We like to know who is like us. We like to see people and have people around us that we feel some level of attraction or commonality or just to be around people that we like. In order to do that, to get those people around us that we like, we judge primarily on what we see. We walk into a room. We try and evaluate who's like us, who's not like us, and we use a judgment to get to that point. I know when I was growing up, we had to do uh, this thing called captains pick teams, okay? Young people, you might not be aware of this. Uh, uh, we, we do what they called back then, we, we played outside. <laughs> Sun, there's dirt. It's very exhilarating. I'm just saying you, you might want to check it out sometime. Outside is what uh, that was. Part of that process, we'd play basketball. We'd play baseball, Dare I say it? We played soccer. I know. Listen, I was young and dumb. Okay. Lord, forgive me. The white poison. Right. I get it. I apologize. But we did. We played some soccer out there. We, We even play tackle football. So there wasn't two-hand, t- there's like not flags, when I, if you're getting touched by two hands when you're playing tackle, it's because they were dragging you down by your face, okay? That's how we played football, When I, I mean, insurance liabilities and all that, I get it, that's not possible anymore, but when I was a kid, the, the best athletes picked the teams, Two best, two best basketball players, they picked your basketball teams. Two best football players, they picked the football team. And, and PE class, the, the two the best dodgeballers, they were picking team when I was growing up. It wasn't equal opportunity, and they wanted to pick the best team. Why? Because they were trying to win wasn't about competing anymore. So nobody wanted like the handicapped kid or the, the homeschool kid or foreign kids. I mean, you wanted the best kid on your block. What was that? It was a judgment. They were making judgments based on who you were, what you looked like, why in order to win. What's unfortunate is, this visual judgment, in order to get ahead, it happens in almost every single area of life. We all want to know what's in it for me. And so we make decisions and judgments based on what's in it for us. And it's even more unfortunate as the same sort of thing happens in churches all over the world. And it's not a new problem. It happened 2,000 years ago when a guy named James was pastoring a church in and around Jerusalem. That's actually what we're going to look at today because neither James nor Jesus, the founder of this church, thought judgment was a good thing and it belonged in church. So let's look at this together. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab it. You're going to open up towards the back of your Bible is where this letter written by James is located. You also should have received some message notes on your way in. You can find the passages there or they'll also be posted. Here on screen. But these past few weeks, we've been looking at this letter written by James. We've just been going line by line and seeing how what James wrote back then very much applies to even America today. The same things that is happening in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago is very much similar to what we're facing uh, here in America in 2016. And these next couple weeks are going to get kind of heavy. James really starts pushing in deep on this idea of faith and works and what you're supposed to do if you're a Christian because there are some things that you should do. And yes, you're saved by grace, by nothing you've done, but God wants you to do some things after that salvation purpose. And so uh, today we're going to find that James is really going to dig deep into this idea of judgment and favoritism. So you're going to be in chapter 2. That's the big number 2. We're going to be in the little number 1. Uh, what James probably finds incredibly ironic about this whole idea of favoritism and this judgment and, uh, is that people are practicing favoritism within the church despite the fact that many of them are suffering persecution and death because Romans decided to do what they call favoritism. <laughs> They decided Christians weren't as worth weren't as worth worth as much as everybody else. That was easy for me to say, right? Uh, Christians were not as wor- worth as much as everybody else, so they decided killing them and torturing them. And it's tragically ironic that Christians now start deciding who's worth coming into their service and who's not. So big number two, little number one. I'm going to read the first 13 verses, and then we're going to uh, drill down in them. You'll see on your outline there that we're going to talk about the what, the why, and a better way. That's our outline this morning, the what, the why, a better way. Here we go, chapter 2, verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or I'll sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love Him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who's broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you still have broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Uh Uh-oh. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So here's our what. What's very easy? It's right there in the first sentence. How can you claim to have faith when you favor some people over others? That's our what. Here's how you can jot it down. Don't play favorites. Don't play favorites. It's the entire point of this text. Don't play favorites. Your Bible might even say, don't show partiality. It's the same thing. Don't play favorites. According to this passage, the favorites we like to choose are predicated upon the outward appearance of a man or woman. Now, if I can speak candidly about this, this isn't as much about judgment and favoritism and partiality as it is discrimination. That's why I chose this translation, because it uses that word specifically. Do not discriminate. What you're doing is discriminating based on external appearances. And James comes along and says, hey, that's not right. You shouldn't look at what people look like to determine their worth. You shouldn't discriminate. Don't withhold affection or give glory, love, hospitality, mercy, friendship, kindness, or service to people based on what they look like. The way we as Christians treat other people is not based on their appearance or their economic class, their age, their clothing, their weight, their gender, their skin, color, or even their attractiveness. Jesus accepts all, and so we need to accept all. does not necessarily mean we approve of all, and we'll get to that, but we need to accept all. We cannot show favoritism to those who are most like us. In short, don't play favorites. That being said, if we're honest, don't we find that there's a group of people that it's just easier to do life with? Like when we get around those people, it's not hard. We're not having to pretend or act a certain way. Life seems just easier to be around them. So if you're wealthy, you'd probably tend to drift towards wealthy people. If you like sports, you probably tend to drift towards other people who like sports. If you're young, you drift towards other young people. But then there are people who it's just harder to do life with. When they're around, you have to work at it. You have to try way harder. takes more work. Our natural bent is not towards those people. Our natural bent is to be around the people that we like and that are like us. And what James is saying here is don't allow yourself to drift towards people that are like you. Or really the people you think can serve you. Why? Why does God say that? I wish he wouldn't have said that. I wish he would have said just you be you. Right, you go do you get around people that you like. Who cares? But that's not what he says. The why is always more complicated than the what. The what was easy. Don't play favorites. The why is going to get way more complicated. If you have kids, you know that the why is way more complicated than the what. We just had eight feet of rain here in the last month, right? So here was a conversation I frequently had. Take your muddy shoes off outside. Don't bring your muddy shoes in here. That was a what. Don't bring your muddy shoes in here. What do the kids say? Why? What's my gut reaction? Because I said so. You're absolutely right. Why is that my gut reaction? Because the why is always more complicated than the what. Because the why, I don't want to have to have that conversation 15 different times. Because the why is, because if you bring your muddy shoes in here, your mom's going to start to act like this. And when your mom starts to act like this, then dad's going to start to act like this. And when mommy and daddy start acting in this way, here's what's probably going to happen to you, and you're not going to like it. That's the why. I don't want to have to repeat that every 15 seconds. So take your shoes off outside and leave them off. I don't want to go through that every single time. So my default is because I said so. So the why is far more complex than the what. But for our passage this morning, the what is, don't play favorites, don't discriminate, here's the why. Because when you do, you dishonor God. You dishonor God. And when you dishonor God, you reveal that you don't really understand what God came to do. Remember how I said when I was a kid that captains pick the teams and their goal was to pick the best players so that they could win. They were not trying to compete. They were trying to demolish the other team. If you were played in a group in like a neighborhood of kids, they wanted bragging rights for that week. So they were not trying to even make it close. And as much fun as that is, that's anti-gospel. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what God is trying to do. Because, listen, look right at me, he's already won. He doesn't have to pick the best team. <laughs> right? Am I alone on this? God's not after the best, smartest, most attractive, wealthiest people in the world. Take a look around. It's not us, yo, right? <laughs> Maybe I'm speaking for myself, but I, I didn't see any Lamborghinis parked in the parking lot when I came in this morning. We're meeting in a school right now. <laughs> Because if we don't have the $5 million it would take to build a building in Central County on prime real... If you're a guest this morning and you have $5 million, please come... I mean, No, I'm kidding. Let me say this as lovingly as possible. You're not that awesome. Now, compared to me, yeah, you might be really awesome, but I'm not the one you should be comparing yourself to. We should be comparing ourselves to Jesus, to God. In other words, the most loving thing I can do as your pastor is just remind you of how awesome God is and how even more awesome He is that He would pick you to be on His team to love and cherish and save the world. I want to constantly point you back to God, say that He deserves the glory for anything that you have. God is the one who gave you every good gift. So praise be to Him. Here's how the Apostle Paul would say it, just to drive this point home in 1 Corinthians. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God, love it when God butts in, chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose. What is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We tie this back to our favoritism conversation. When you show partiality, when you show favoritism, when you discriminate, you actually dishonor God Because you step out from underneath this umbrella of mercy that He's shown you and His saving grace. And you become your own mini-God judging others with evil intention. Because if you can do this, so should they. They should be able to step up and, and do everything that you have done. But that's not the point of the text. Because God did this. God changed your heart. God didn't save you because of something you did. God saved you out of his mercy and grace. So for you to judge someone based on what they're doing is outside the mercy and grace that God has shown you. You guys still with me today? I apologize if I'm the first person to not call you awesome. But I'm just trying to not show favorites based on this text. The what? Don't play favorites. The why? Because it offends God. It dishonors God. Here's the other reason why. Because we dishonor other Christians. You dishonor your eternal brothers and sisters. If I were James, thinking through this idea of rich and poor, and here's how I would explain it. You so want to be loved by the world, church. You so want to be accepted by them. You so want to be applauded for your behavior. You so want to be seen as normal that you dishonor your eternal brothers and sisters because they're poor You cozy up and cuddle up next to those who belittle the name of God, even though they mock you and even though they make life difficult on you. And you do it simply because they're rich. You think they can serve you. I don't want you to misunderstand what James is saying here, though. He's not saying take your favoritism off the rich and put it onto the poor. And instead of despising the poor, despise the rich. That's not at all what James is saying. He says that's equally anti-gospel. He says don't show favorites at all. Don't play favorites. Don't dishonor God. and Don't dishonor the people that he's made, rich or poor. Love like God loves. Don't show favoritism. Don't play favorites. Why? It dishonors God. It dishonors your Christian brother. So what do we do? Is there a way that we can not dishonor God, not dishonor people, not play favorites? Yes, absolutely. It's in verse 8. He says, yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal laws found in the Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law for the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who's broken all of God's laws. So here's what like, uh, kind of likes to happen in church world. We like to get together. We'll sing some songs. If you're brave, maybe you'll even raise your hands or you'll clap during the song. You might even say amen during a message service. But then in the middle of that, the still small voice inside of you will remind you of how you're probably not living up to what the pastor is talking about. It might remind you of somebody during in a message like this, of somebody that you're playing favorites to. Somebody that you're discriminating against, someone you're not loving. And what you like to do is inside, you say, yes, voice, I hear you, but at least I didn't kill anybody. It's not like I committed adultery. I haven't broken any major laws. And James's point is, who cares? Who cares if you didn't murder anybody? Who cares if you didn't commit adultery? You're breaking the royal law of love. You're not loving like God loves. You're not even loving other people the same way that you would love yourself. You're showing partiality. You're showing favoritism. And if you break one law, you're guilty of breaking all the laws. You're discriminating, showing favoritism. You think you deserve something because of who you are or what you've done? It's wrong. Do you make racist jokes? Do you avoid the poor? you're breaking the royal law of love. James's words, not mine, you have sinned against God in so doing those things. If you really dig into scripture, study the Bible for yourself, you'll see that God is relentless in his command that we don't just hear, we also do. We're not just hearers, we're doers. Once you become a Christian, God has some expectations about how you will live your life. Now, You need to hear me say, if you're a baby Christian and you're just starting out in your faith, I'm not trying to put a hundred pound dumbbell on you. Here's all the things that you have to do. Best of luck. That's equally sinful. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing and get to work on those things. And gradually we'll start being transformed into the image of God. Jesus's demand on your life, though, is not selective obedience if you're deliberately choosing some over the other, that's wrong. Christianity is very simple. It's all about Jesus. But it's never easy. And the call in your life is never easy either. If you're thinking, man, is this ever going to get happy again? You start off because it told some jokes, right? No, probably not, okay? That's why I'm giving away a smoker and root beer floats. Because, got I mean, this is just a difficult text. But watch where James goes next. James says, the church needs to be quick to hear and do what the Lord Jesus has said because there's coming a day when the Lord of glory, Jesus, who's been mentioned, will judge us based on whether or not we've obeyed him. And his judgment won't be shallow and evil like ours. His judgment won't be on external appearances. His judgment will be righteous and holy and it will be based on the sincerity of our faith and our obedience to Scripture. Now, that does not mean Jesus expects us to be perfect. Jesus was already perfect for us. So we do not have to be perfect. When God sees us, he sees Jesus. But for Christians, it's all about progress. Your progress needs to be up and to the right. It's going to go like this, though. There's going to be ups and downs and ups and downs and it might be one step forward and eight steps back on some days but then you're going to take another step forward and as long as your trajectory is up and to the right that's what God's call on your life is about slowly being transformed into the image of Jesus God is a father who has brought us forth by his word and he expects us to do what he says No different than the other fathers in this room. When you tell your kids to do something, you have an expectation that they'll do what you say. So let me get super practical for us today. The better way. Three things that you can do. uh, Put it in an acronym so it's easy to remember. Because it's Fave, F-A-V. Y'all are my faves. And here are some faves of things that you can do. First of all, you can forgive people. Forgive people. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Remember that mercy was shown to you. Remember where you were when Christ found you. And the mercy and grace that he used to rescue and ransom you. Don't forget where you were. God's forgiving grace and mercy extended to you also. And you need to extend it to others. Unforgiveness is when you assume to know why somebody did what they did or said what they said. I'm gonna say that again. Unforgiveness is when you assume to know why somebody did what they did or said what they said. Forgiveness is releasing that. Forgiveness is saying I'm not holding that against you anymore. It's not saying, hey, that's okay. Ah, don't worry about it. It wasn't okay. What they did. Don't pretend like it was. Forgiveness is just saying, I'm not going to hold on to this anymore. I'm turning this over. I'm not going to carry this burden. You release it. You turn it over to God. And you can do that without seeing a person. You can choose in your heart to forgive them and release the hate and anger and give that over to Jesus. You don't have to talk to them. Forgiveness is not Reconciliation. Forgiveness is simply not holding on to it any longer. So if you want to not dishonor God, not dishonor people, then you need to, first of all, forgive them. Here's what else you need to do. You need to accept people. Accept people. If you want to get rid of discrimination and judgment in your life, accept people. Don't confuse acceptance and approval the two are wildly different we can accept people because jesus accepts people but we do not have to approve of everybody's behavior you can show love to everyone i have close friends mine who are homosexual disagree with their lifestyle but here's what i can promise you they would say about me that guy loves me he would do anything for me and even though he disagrees on some things that I disagree with, we can still be friends. You can accept people without approving of them. I got close friends who are living with people they're not married to. Equally disapprove of that behavior, right? But I love those people regardless a lot of people with sin in their lives that are blatant and obvious, and we disagree on whether or not they should be doing those things. But where we don't disagree is that I'm called to love them regardless of their behavior. Acceptance is different than approval. Here's the last thing value people. You need to value people. Valuing people is not about their worth to you, it's about their worth to God. I'll give you an example. Got a $100 bill right here. Have no idea where this $100 bill has been. Could have been used in wicked, deplorable, evil things. Drug trafficking might have come directly from the cartel. I don't know. Prostitution. I have no idea where this $100 bill has been. But that doesn't change its value. Still $100. I have no idea where this is located. But I can go all over the world, and this is still 100 U.S. American dollars. Its location does not change its value. Right now, it's pretty crisp. little fold to fit in my pocket. But I can crumble up that $100 bill. I can step on that $100 bill. That's not mine, so it didn't feel bad. If that was mine, I'd feel really bad about that right now the guy I got it from is probably going to be really mad about all that. But you know what? Still worth $100. Location, condition, history doesn't change its value. What you need to hear me say is the same thing's true with you. Your history, your location, your condition, God still sees you as valuable. He loves you. The Bible talks about there's a couple different types of sin in Scripture. In this text, there's sin that you're guilty of. Things that you've done. Maybe wicked, evil, deplorable things. God says, I can forgive you of all of those things through my son Jesus because of what he's done. It's the first type of sin, guilty. The Bible also talks about, though, that there's sin that's been done to you. People might have done some horrible, evil, wicked things to you. Maybe you've been raped. God, forgive me for being raped. That doesn't make any sense. But you still feel dirty. The Bible talks about Jesus is a living stream of water that washes you clean. So there's punitive sin, makes you guilty. And then there's sin that can be done against you that makes you dirty. And God says in both, you can be made new. You can be washed clean and you can be forgiven no matter what you've done. And nothing can change your value to me. That's what's most important in Scripture. God values you, that He loves you, and that He wants to adopt you as His son and daughter. So maybe on this Father's Day, you had a bad dad. So was wicked and evil, did deplorable things. So Father's Day isn't a celebration for you because you hate your dad. What you got to hear me say is we have a loving Father in Heaven Amen. who loves us no matter what, who will forgive you and wash you clean if you allow him to. He just asks that you turn those things over to him. You no longer carry those burdens anymore. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen, somebody? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for being here with us in this moment. We love you. We thank you that you're a perfect father. As a father, I know I fall short all the time. I'm sorry for that. I thank you that you're my example. Just ask that you help me strive to be a loving, perfect dad the way you are. And when I mess up, just ask that you don't shame me or guilt me into that. And I know you don't, but you forgive me and you help me make it better. God, there's people in this room I know who are feeling. Shame or guilt. And I just ask that you speak to them in this moment. Forgive them of anything that they've done. Wash them clean of anything that's been done to them. We believe that you can make us new. And we thank you and we praise you for that fact. God, we don't want to discriminate people against people based on their appearance. I just ask that you help us do that. Draw us close to those who are not like us so that we can share this good news that Jesus Christ came to this earth, that he died a death that was meant for you, and he lived a life that you can't live so that now you can be made new. If there's anybody here this morning who has never accepted this free gift of salvation, just ask that you would you say this prayer along with me in your heart because the Bible says if you confess and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. And just say, God, I'm sorry. I know I've fallen short, I've sinned, I deserve punishment. But I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on a cross but rose from the dead. And because of that, I'm made new. Thank you, God, for saving me. Help me as I live for you. God, I thank you for that new life. I thank you for all the lives represented here. Be an encouragement to them each on this day as they leave from this place and try and live a life worthy of your calling. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.